Well, if you would, I'd invite you to uh, grab once again uh, the inserts uh, that you have in your bulletin and follow along with me as we turn once again to the book of Proverbs. All of you, most of you know that our normal practice at Ascension has been to work through books of the Bible consecutively, verse by verse, chapter and chapter, but the book of Proverbs is just a book, at least the last half of the book, is, is not a book that lends itself to doing that very easily. The truth that's contained in Proverbs is contained in these small bits of, of one line or two line uh, poetic verse. Poetic verse aimed at, at lodging itself in your minds and in your hearts. I heard one pastor talking about uh, the pithy sayings of Proverbs, describing them as the hard candy of the Word. Not something that is designed to just chomp down and, and digest real quickly. And in a sense, we could say all of God's Word is, is like this to some degree, but it's something that should be savored and, and rolled over in our mouths again and again. What well, you could say, you could accuse me of uh, putting too much hard candy in front of you there on your insert. Too much to really savor and roll over again. But I do hope that uh, the truth that is contained in this wisdom would find root in your hearts and would lodge itself there. All the Proverbs that you see before you have, of, of course, one subject that they're about. Today we look at what the Lord teaches us through Solomon, his servant, primarily about our plans and God's purposes. And so listen as I read God's Word. Uh, again, not reading the references, but just the Proverbs one after the other, beginning with Proverbs fifteen twenty-two. This is God's Word. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The plans of the diligent surely lead to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the bay of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Oregon coast or eastern Washington. Cool ocean breezes with the possibility of fog or hot inland air with plenty of sunshine. 
Fleeces or sunscreen? That was the choice. It wasn't very earth-shattering, but that was the choice. That was the decision uh, that the Hitchcocks were faced with earlier this year concerning the Hitchcock family vacation 2014. A return to that decision between the Oregon coast and eastern Washington later. But the reality of it is that our lives are full of such choices. Our lives are full of such choices. We could say that our lives are a complex web of decisions. Not only making those decisions, but reaping the consequences of decisions that we make in our lives. In many respects, or in one respect, we could say, as I've heard some said, that our lives are the sum of the decisions that we make. It's kind of a scary thought. Should I major in this? Should I take that job? Should I marry that person? Big decisions. What about small decisions? Should I go to the Mariners game? Is it time to upgrade my cell phone? Should I indulge myself in that simple pleasure? Our decisions matter. Our decisions have consequences. Some of those consequences we feel, some of those consequences we clearly see, and some of those consequences we totally miss. You see, I think we recognize this reality. We recognize the gravity of our decision, particularly those large decisions that many of you young people are even thinking about or beginning to think about. And so what do we do? We stress. We agonize. At times we are even paralyzed by decisions, both large and small, that lie before us. God's Word reminds us this morning that your Creator knows this. That your Heavenly Father knows this. That not only does He know this, but He has made us this way. We are creatures made in His image. We are creatures given wills in order to make decisions. And so it only makes sense that in a book the book of Proverbs, in a book about living in the fear of the Lord, in a book about living a life of wisdom, that it would spend a significant amount of time talking about our plans, talking about our decisions. And indeed it does. I've given you just a sample this morning. As we walk through some of this wisdom that we've just read from the book of Proverbs, I want to give you, uh, from the Lord, I want to give you two encouragement, two encouragements that He gives us from His Word. Two encouragements that I think are broad enough to reach into the specifics of your lives and put you on a path of wisdom. And the first encouragement is simply this. The way of wisdom plans carefully and prayerfully. The way of wisdom, or the life of wisdom, plans carefully and prayerfully. 
Those of us who know and love Jesus, which I think is most, if not all of us in this room, whenever we come to a a fork in the road, a crossroad in our lives, we want to know the answer to the question, what would Jesus have me do? And to figure that out, some of us have wished that when, that when we were converted, that when the Lord called us to Himself, that, that He'd give us one of, those, one of those magic eight balls that you see sometimes in Toys R Us or Target, you know, where you, you shake it, you say something out loud and you shake it, and then all of a sudden a, a decision rises to the top of the magic eight ball. Yes, no, maybe, wait for it, give it more time. I don't even know all the ones uh, that are in there. But we want that magic eight ball. And then there's this feeling that can sneak into our psyche at times when we're at a fork in the road. We ask ourselves, does it even matter? We read these Proverbs, and it seems like God is going to do what He's going to do regardless of what we decide. Well, before we pick apart that first encouragement, before we pick apart the adverbs in that first encouragement, I want to talk about the verb. The way of wisdom plans. The life of wisdom plans. Do we even need to plan? Proverbs 19.21 states, it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Do we even need to plan? Have you ever eaten at a really fine restaurant, really expensive restaurant, where you're over your head? I remember Ann and I got a gift certificate when we were newly married. Somebody in the church gave us one restaurant we never heard of. The gift certificate was for 50 bucks. 50 bucks? We can invite some friends. So we invited our close friends, double date. We got this huge gift certificate to this restaurant we never heard of. We go to this restaurant. Oh yeah, 50 bucks. We needed every bit of that 50 bucks. I was over my head. All the dishes, they were good, but they were over my head. I really didn't appreciate how good they were. Have you ever had that experience where you've gone to the the symphony or the orchestra and you just don't know enough about music to really appreciate what's going on in terms of the musicianship of those who are playing? You see, in much the same way and, and to an infinitely larger degree, there are things that God has revealed to us in His Word that are not only too complex for our minds, but they're simply, they're simply too beautiful for us to truly grasp, for us to truly understand. And one of those things is the relationship between our planning and God's purposes. J.I. Packer, uh, the brilliant theologian, some of you have heard of some of his books, he calls this relationship an antinomy. And if you look up the word antinomy in the Bible, or excuse me, in the dictionary, it will define the word as a contradiction between two beliefs or conclusions 
that are themselves reasonable. Packer goes on to say that God's purposes and our plans are an apparent contradiction. They give the appearance of incompatibility between two truths that God's Word teaches that we know to be true. Let me explain this a little bit further. You are 100% free to make decisions. Your plans are your plans. You are responsible for them, and you are called to make them. We are called to plan. And I love how simply and practical, practically the book of Proverbs teaches us this and reminds us of this. Proverbs 24, 27. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. And after that, build your house. Proverbs 16.9, in his heart, a man plans his course. David even adds his voice to this. In Psalm 32, David says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. We're not like animals being dragged around by bit and bridle. We are called to make decisions. No one's making those decisions for you. Those decisions plot a real course in your life. You are not a puppet. But at the same time, God is not a mere spectator of your life. Those decisions are not just known by God, but the Bible teaches that those decisions are 100% determined by Him. In the midst of man's choices, It is the Lord that determines the steps. It is the Lord's purpose that prevails, the book of Proverbs reminds us. 16.1, from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. Again, David adds his voice, Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Your faith, your actions brought you in this room this morning. But you're only here because you were chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.11 says. You choose to do good things every day you serve and you love, but you are only walking in those things that God has prepared in advance that you might walk in them. You see, it's, it's at this point when, when we see a vision of, of, of who God is, When we insert verses like Psalm 139, 17 and 18, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Or the posture of Job, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I have uttered things I don't understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. The book of Proverbs reminds us, the way of wisdom reminds us that we've got to hold these two things in beautiful, seeming contradiction, apparent contradiction. The way of wisdom plans. Well, let's move to the adverbs. The way of wisdom plans carefully. Carefully. I'll admit that there are times when when I can rush into things. 
in my zeal for cleaning the house, for cleaning the garage, I can impulsively get rid of things. And Value Village has more than once been the benefactor of my impulsiveness, much to the disappointment and frustration of my wife. When she asks, where did that go? Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. The way of wisdom plans, it recognizes that we've got to plan in the context of who God is and His purposes. We've got to plan, but we plan carefully. We slow down. We're diligent in our planning, diligent in seeking others out. And we talked a little bit about this last week as we talked about relationships, as we talked about friendship and the importance of knowing others and being known by them, allowing them to speak into your life, to help guide your life. And Proverbs 15.22 reminds us, plans fail for lack of counselors, but with many advisors they succeed. And you know as well as I do, because your heart feels that pull, that we live in an arrogant age. In an age that at times can glamorize the the, the go-at-it-alone approach. The Bible reminds us that man's success, that a life of wisdom will not be ultimately determined by your own intelligence, but by those whom you surround yourself with. By those whom you rely upon to give you counsel, to give you wisdom. And I recognize that that takes humility. That takes a swallowing of your pride. Frankly, it stinks sometimes having to ask others. But it is wisdom. As one writer put it, busyness without boasting, industry without independence, acumen without arrogance. The way of wisdom plans carefully. But the way of wisdom also plans prayerfully. Let's look at the other adverb. The way of wisdom plans carefully. Our planning must not only be slow and deliberate, involving counselors and those around us. But the way of wisdom acknowledges the Lord. And here we say, well, Lord, it'd just be easy if you give me the magic eight ball. I'll carry it with me everywhere. Every decision I've got to make, I'll give it a shake, and you can answer me. And I know some of you are thinking about the Scriptures, and you're thinking about those times in God's Word when God's servants put fleeces out. When they cast lots. This ancient way of putting stones in a bowl and then throwing them out in a certain way where you could discern what God's will was. And we say, why can't we do that? What has changed? Well, here's what's changed. The last time God's people casted lots was Acts chapter 1 upon the choosing of the disciple to replace Judas. And what happened in Acts chapter 2? Whoosh! The Spirit came. The Spirit came to His people. 
and now fills and resides and guides all of His people. And so in the midst of our diligent planning, in the midst of our seeking counsel, we cry out to that Spirit who lives inside of us and we say, give us wisdom. Make my path clear. You know, the Bible never talks about finding God's will. And you young people, you need to get this. The Bible never talks about finding God's will. God's will, in one sense, is something that you can't miss. In one sense, God's will is a stream that you're stuck in. It's all around you. And it's happening to you. You see, there are two ways that we look at God's will. One way is referring to God's will as the obedience to His commands. That's how Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And he goes on to list all these things that we as Christians, we as followers, need to abstain from. If you are doing things in direct contradiction to what God has told you to do, we could say, indeed, you are not following God's will for your life. But that's not how we often use it. We often use, we often talk about God's will as if it's this mysterious road and we've got to find that road. But we don't have a map to find that road where, where we get on it and we know that we're in God's will. The book of Proverbs and the Scriptures as a whole remind us that we are never out of God's will in regards to the second way of looking at it and the way the Scriptures talk about it in terms of God's decree. A decree that He established before the foundation of the world. And therefore, get this, get this, young people, even your poor decisions, even your sinful ones, they're not excused but they are part of God's will. They are part of God's decretive will. And again, that doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean we don't plan carefully and prayerfully. But it does mean you don't have to figure everything out. Our upended plans are opportunities for us to simply embrace the fact that you know, we don't have it all figured out. We are frail. We are limited. I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes has driven us there again and again, week after week, for the last several months. David confesses in 1 Chronicles 29 15, our days are like a shadow. Job writes in. Job 7, 7, that he needs to remember that his life is a breath. Moses reflects on the frailty of life in Psalm 90. God's servants kept this in their minds. They saw the value of keeping before them the frailty of their lives. And frankly, that their lives, that our lives aren't as important as we think they are. I'm not saying that God doesn't love you with a passionate, tender love. He does. But you are made for His glory. 
I am made for his glory. And his purposes are working that out in our lives. And so we hold loosely. We plan carefully. We plan prayerfully. But we hold loosely to our plans. This was what Paul was all about. Acts 18.21, he told the people of Ephesus, I will return to you if God wills. In Romans 1, he tells the Romans that they're in his prayers and he somehow asks that by God's will, he might come to them. He said the same thing to the Corinthian church. I will come to you if the Lord wills. And then some of you might be thinking of that classic passage in James. James chapter 4 where it says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow you will be in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Acknowledgement of our frailty. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. Should that whole, if the Lord wills, be part of our vocabulary? Well, it can be overused, I think, but so can a lot of things. I think it should be a part of our vocabulary. It's a reminder of the humility that we have before the Lord of our position. It's a reminder for us to hold loosely to our plans. Because as diligent and as prayerfully and carefully as we might plan, God might be doing something completely different. And that's the second truth that I want to briefly close with this morning. Rest in the story that God is writing. The book of Proverbs and the way of wisdom reminds us to rest in the story that God is writing. Now I know I've said that word from time to time from this pulpit and I've given you the encouragement to rest. And and what do I mean by rest? I'm not talking about some pie in the sky ideal. I'm talking about trust. I'm talking about go to sleep. Don't worry. David in Psalm chapter 4, I love the Psalms because they express so many of our emotions. David in Psalm chapter 4 at the end of the Psalm says, In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to rest. Because it's you, O Lord, that make me dwell in safety. Because it's you, O Lord, that is writing a story. Proverbs 3, 4 and 5. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's hard. That's hard to do. But God's Word reminds us this morning, Proverbs reminds us this morning, that you don't have to get it. You just have to remember that He is in it. And that He is for your good. And that He is good. See, these Proverbs teach us the the scale of God's providence. That's one of the beautiful things about them. We read in 21 verse 31 that the horse is made ready for battle, but victory rests with the Lord. 
the grandest of things. Ukrainian rebels, Israeli tanks, ISIS militants. God's writing a story. But then there's Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The minute and the mundane, the rolling of the dice, the outcome is from the Lord. It's quite a scale. Nations on earth and seconds in our day where most of us live Not a dictator on earth, not a hair on my head is outside of his plan. When I say rest in the story that God is writing, we could think of the story in two ways. There's the stories that he's writing in your lives. Little little s, lowercase s. There's a map for each of you. There is. There's a map for each of your life but you don't get to see it. And you don't need to see it. Returning to that big, earth-shattering decision of the Hitchcock family about whether to go to the Oregon coast or eastern Washington, after all our diligent planning, after seeking your counsel, we make our decision. It's a good, informed decision. It's going to be good. It's going to be great. Tubing, fishing. And then the fires hit. And the smoke and the ash and the evacuations and the road closures. And suddenly, well, the Hitchcocks a week before are headed to the Oregon coast. Pack away your shorts and pack your fleeces, kids. Why did the Lord do that? I don't know. I can speculate. We had a wonderful night of encouragement with some old friends that lived down there. Maybe that was it. Maybe they needed our encouragement at that time, at that place. I don't know. But I don't need to worry about it. I just need to know that God is writing a story. Well, I know, friends, that that's a kind of a benign, humorous example. I know that many of you, your stories are much more serious. Your stories include great suffering, great anxiety. And I don't want to minimize that. Because you're in it right now, some of you. But God's Word, the book of Proverbs, and the way of wisdom reminds us this morning that your suffering is not pointless. That it has a purpose. You may not know what it is. 16.4, Proverbs 16.4, The Lord works out everything for His own ends. Even the wicked, even the wicked for the day of disaster. 1 Peter 4.19, Peter says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. 
So the good news to remember this morning is that God is always at work, even when he seems absent. God is always at work in your life, in your poor decision, in the painful decisions of your enemies and those who are out to hurt you. He is working. We read that story of Joseph in Genesis. It takes us 20 minutes to read that story, but what we forget is that story was years and years and years long. There were huge stretches of time when Joseph was clueless. What are you doing? He didn't always get it. See, the effect of resting in the story that God is writing, of really digesting this, which is hard to do, is that those commands that the Lord gives us, the commands that the Lord Jesus gave us here on earth about not worrying about tomorrow, about not being anxious, we can really obey those. We think that those are impossible to obey. They're hard. But we can. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, that great song we sing, had a phrase that he said, what you will, when you will, how you will. It's a great mature perspective to have. A wise perspective. God's writing stories in all of your lives, little lowercase s, but God, of course, is writing the story. And that's where we end this morning. The story, capital S. God is writing a story of love with His Son. And even as we think about our own suffering, we think, ah, I'm suffering, but God is a distant, far away God who doesn't understand. He's sovereign, but He doesn't... Yes, He does suffer. Yes, He did suffer. Yes, He did send His Son to suffer for you and for me. Acts 4, 26-28, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers have gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's purpose. God's purposes for His Son is a purpose of love for you and for me. Our stories are quite different. Our stories, little lesses, are quite different than we plan them to be. But because of the story God is writing, capital S and lowercase s, we can trust. We can rest. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the wisdom that is found in Proverbs. Father, we 
want to live our lives in the fear of you. We want to truly understand not every in and out of why you're doing what you're doing, but truly understand and know that you are good and that you are God and that we can trust you. That's hard. We need grace. And so I ask as your word takes root in the hearts of your people, that your spirit would give them grace to live lives of trust and rest, of planning carefully and prayerfully for your glory and for our good. And use us as you see fit, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.